Most of you may know by now that my name is Larry Chapman. And uh, my wife and I moved here from Missouri in August of 2018. 1982 was when we wanted to move. Uh, (laughs) We just didn't know it then. Uh, We spent the previous 47 years in pastoral ministry. And so it's such an honor to again break the bread of life with the people of God. And I want to thank our pastor, even though he's not in here. He's the kind of guy that is this kind of guy. He said, Brother, would you, would you consider preaching Sunday so that my wife and I can work in the children's division? I said, well, let me think about it. Okay. But that's the kind of guy he is. He said, if I'm going to ask other people to give of their time to work in the children's division, I need to take some time off to do it myself. I think he's a great guy. I think we're blessed to have such a pastor. We really do. And as a Missourian, I want to start with a quote from a Missourian, Mark Twain. He's a little more famous than some Missourians. Um, And he is credited with saying so many things that I'm always reluctant to quote him because verifying the quotes is virtually impossible unless you can find them in print in something he wrote. And I can't find this in print, but still I think it's good to say that he said it. He said, I can live two months on a good compliment. Think about that. You know what you do with a good compliment, don't you? You let it sink in. You act like it doesn't really matter. And then you go home and you think about it for two months. And anytime things look a little tough, you pull that one back out of the drawer and look at it again. And that's what he's talking about. He said, I can live two months on a good compliment. Words have such force, such power. The Proverbs writer put it like this, and if you've got that ready to put up, it would be great to put the Proverbs up. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Now, I've got to be candid with you. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but it's really good, isn't it? It's really good. And John Keats, back in 1818, see, I got that date right. The the ones I'm familiar with, I don't have any trouble with. Um, In 1818, he was writing a poem that my wife tells me I don't know how to pronounce the name of. So I won't try it. My wife's an English teacher. Um, But I will try to repeat the first line of it. But he had a friend over at the house one evening, and he was working on the poem, and he was bouncing ideas off of his friend, and he suggested this is the opening line for the poem. Beautiful things give enduring pleasure. His friend said, Keats, you can do better than that. And what issued from that was, a thing of beauty is a joy forever. Its loveliness increases. It will never pass into nothingness. But still we'll keep a bower quiet for us and a sleep full of sweet dreams and health and quiet breathing. That's almost as good as a good compliment. Yeah, words have such power, don't they? Such power. 
Now, I want to take just a bit of a sidetrack and explain something to you. This morning's topic is going to be listening, listening to hear God. And before we do that, I want to take this moment to talk to you a bit about a, a phrase called a word from God. How many of you have heard that phrase? A word from God. When I first heard that phrase, I was a very young Christian and I didn't really know what to do with it because I thought word was singular, you know, a word from God. And that was fine. God said to Abraham, go, and he went. Uh, but I, I couldn't quite get it when people said, well, I've had a word from the Lord. And then it, in the course of my reading and studying, I became aware that a word from the Lord doesn't refer to a singular word. It refers to a message from the Lord. A message from the Lord. In point of illustration, when uh, Jeremiah had been uh, put into a dungeon because he kept prophesying that Israel was going to fall to the Babylonians and the other prophets said, no, no, we're going to be great. And King Zedekiah was all in favor of the, the good speakers and not the bad speakers. And so he ended up putting Jeremiah in a dungeon. But when things really got rough, he secretly sent, and we, you can read about it in the book of Jeremiah 37, 16, and 17. It should go up there. When Jeremiah had come to the dungeon cells and remained there many days, King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. The king questioned him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? Is there any word from the Lord? Bad as Zedekiah was, he knew how important a word from the Lord could be. Is there any word from the Lord? This is the question that ought to continually attend our daily walk. Is there any word from the Lord? When I'm deciding whether or not I should take this job or that job, is there any word from the Lord? When I'm deciding, should I accept this date or reject that date, is there any word from the Lord? You know... <clears throat> The, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians gives advice to you young ladies on this particular subject. Wherein Paul writes and says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. You, you think about that. He goes ahead and says, concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if you just go with, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that's a bunch of guys that have asked you out, isn't it? It explains a great deal of spinsterhood. In fact, the old ladies often say to me, the reason I got, didn't get married is I would not have the ignorant brethren. Okay. I don't think I can milk any more out of that. <laughs> Except for that last little bit. The, uh, the word of the Lord is pivotal to the Christian life, to the walk of faith. It is He's speaking, we're hearing, we believe what we're hearing, and so we're doing. Someone once said that faith is what you do. Everything else is just talk. Faith is what you do. 
Everything else is just talk. We hear from God. We believe what we hear because we've heard it from God. We believe. And because we believe, we do it. That's why the scripture says, Whosoever believeth in the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. It's not people saying, well, I believe in the Lord, but I don't think I'm going to be saved. That's not the kind of belief that the Bible's talking about. The kind of belief the Bible talks about that is a result of hearing God is you do it because the, the word empowers us to do it. And before I go any further, I'm going to give you the three points of the message because I have the distinct, clear understanding that I may not get past the introduction. The first is, are you okay out there? Okay. Uh, it's like preaching to the British. Uh, The first point is this, God is speaking an enlightening word. The second point is he's speaking an encouraging word. And the third is he's speaking an empowering word. For thousands of years, thousands of years, the religious Jewish people have prayed the same prayer morning and evening. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, and and I hope you will, even though it's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible, Uh, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy, chapter 6. The reason I hope you brought your Bible and I hope you're reading it in your Bible is because you can't take the screen home with you. You know? I know that some of you are going to read it on screens in your hands, and I hope you will mark them up so much that they look like you've actually spent some time with them. I'm one of these people that just, I'm a tactile person. And so I I mark everything up. And that's why I encourage you to bring your Bible and read from your Bible. Uh, If I had my way, you would be able to picture in your mind where the verses are you're looking for located on the page. You might not know the the chapter or the verse, but you know that verse is in the lower left-hand corner of this book somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, some of us do, and we're all old. Uh, (laughs) For thousands of years, they've prayed this prayer twice a day, and more often in many cases, but at least twice a day. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's called the Shema, the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. We're going to do a little bit of Mr. Rogers here. Can you say Shema with me? Shema, the emphasis is on the last syllable. It's a Hebrew word. It means, get ready, hear. It means hear. So every morning and every evening, they begin with a prayer that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Here, here. Now, it's an interesting thing about this word, the Shema, which the word Shema is the first word in that prayer, the Shema. It is interesting in that, well, it's interesting in that it uh, means many things. The word Shema means to give 
devoted attention to, to really focus in. In other places in the Old Testament, we see the word used in a lot of ways. Among them is, my people have ears to shema, but they do not shema. They have ears to hear, but they don't listen. The difference. Jesus talked about that same problem, didn't he? It's not just a matter of having the vibrations of the airwaves enter our ear chambers. It's a matter of allowing the message to enter our being as someone prayed that we would hear from the Lord today. Down deep that we would hear from the Lord. I believe that was you, wasn't it, Taiwo? Taiwo, yes. Uh, so, the Shema can mean hear as in listen, but it also means hear as in respond. Over in Psalm 27, 7, the psalmist says, Hear, O Lord, my cry, or when I cry aloud. And he goes on to the point of asking God to intervene. And the idea is, respond to my cry. If you hear it, you're going to respond. Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. This is an enlightening word from God. This word that comes to us as we practice listening to God. Now a word about sermons. Sermons are spoken out loud. This is the plan. God created it. He designed it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, it's the foolishness of preaching that God uses to get people saved. It's not like this is some great man-glorifying occupation. Now in America, when English-speaking Americans preach, we get pretty fancy with words sometimes. We get pretty fancy with rhetoric. We get pretty fancy with stage presence and all that. But when I was in, had the privilege of preaching in countries that I didn't speak the language and I didn't know the culture and that all it was being translated, somebody else was telling them what I said and I didn't know what they were saying was right, um, I found that all I could do was present the simple message of God's majestic love in giving His Son to die for our sins and raising Him to new life so that we could live forever. And guess what? That was enough. That was enough. It's the, the idea of preaching is not really glorifying to man. It never was meant to be. It was to glorify God. We declare the message that God speaks. Now, here's the deal. Worshipers, do you know what your assignment is when you come to church? Your assignment is to hear from the Lord. That's it. Whenever the preacher's preaching, whenever we're singing and worshiping, your heart needs to be open, your ears open to hear from the Lord. You want to leave worship time with a word from God. And you can have a word from God. He's speaking. It's not just written in the word. It's not just declared with the mouth. The, the oral presentation of the message is one that you hear, that you shema, and it goes deep inside, and God says to you things that the preacher didn't know he was saying. And that's when you had a word from the Lord. 
I had a good friend who's a preacher who always prays, Lord, give us a double anointing. Anoint me to say what I didn't know I was going to say and anoint my hearers to hear what, I'm, what you're saying and not just what I'm saying. So that's the deal. That's, that's the purpose. That's the focus when you worship. It's to listen for God's message to you here today and every day. And we have to practice listening for God. How many of you were great at anything you do the first time you did it? The first time you did it. No, you weren't. Whether it's kissing. I just read a book written for middle schoolers about a first kiss for a rising fifth grader, and he was planning how to kiss this girl that he'd been girlfriend, boyfriend with for years, and he was trying to figure out how to work the noses, and he was asking advice from all kinds of people about how to do this properly, and he got some really good advice, and it just struck me as wonderful to realize that kissing is something you have to practice. Wow, it's fun. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> but whatever it is, your job, your school, your writing, your teaching, your practice of medicine, whatever it is, you're not as good at it the first time as you are after you've done it a while, right? Okay, see, this is where it's a rhetorical question, but I'd like to have an answer. <laughs> right. It's right. You're right, Pastor Larry. You're right. Uh, and it's the same way with listening to God. It's the same way with hearing God. He's speaking continually. But you don't have all the practice there is in hearing. So the first thing I want to tell you is you're going to make mistakes. You won't get it perfect the first time. So allow yourself to be okay with the fact that I think this is what the Lord's saying, without having to say, I know this is what God's saying, and even if it doesn't work out that way, I know I heard from God and everybody else is wrong. Just be, be kind to each other and be kind to yourself and give yourself time to practice, to learn to hear from the Lord, because it's a lot easier than you think, and you make it hard if you're not careful. So just understand you need to practice hearing from the Lord. Now, how do you practice hearing from God? I would suggest a good way to start is to have conversations with him. That seems pretty simple, doesn't it? You talk to him, and then you be quiet and listen to hear what he has to say. You talk to him, and then you be quiet and listen to hear what he has to say. He may say something in the way of an answer to a... Have you ever asked God a question and then gotten quiet till he answered I would suggest you try that. You know, a lot of times we ask God questions and then we just keep right on going as if he's not listening. If, if our children found us that way, they'd feel like we weren't paying attention, right? If they asked us a question and just kept right on talking because they don't expect you to be able to answer it, that would be offensive. So be still after you've asked a question. Lord, what are we supposed to do about this? God speaks to us in a variety of ways. There's general revelation, what 
theologians call general revelation, and that is through nature. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament displays his, his wonder. But there's, and that's everybody can hear from God there. Romans chapter 1 tells us that all mankind has the option of seeing God's and appreciating his character in his creation. But we don't want to. It goes, point, goes ahead and points that out, that we, we choose not to. But there's also specific revelation. The written word of God is the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. It is absolutely bedrock truth. You can always go there and know that you're going to be hearing what God said. But there's a big difference between reading what God said and hearing what he's saying and what he wrote. Because he may say something to you different in the same passage over the course of your life many times. Amen? That's not bad theology and that's not resting scripture. That's realizing that this is a living book. The word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing to us asunder the joints and marrow and the soul and the spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, the Hebrews writer tells us. So we go to the word in the book. There's the written word. We also hear this other word. Elijah. He had a problem. He had just killed a whole bunch of Queen Jezebel's best friends, the prophets of Baal. And she didn't like it. In fact, she said, if 24 hours goes by and I don't make you like them, may God do worse to me. So he hit the road. I understand it. You can be strong and courageous one moment and terrified the next. And he was. And he took off running. And he went into... Mount Horeb, well, before he got to Mount Horeb, he, he sat down under a broomstick tree. Not sure exactly what that is, again, but we'll just, let's say it's a, a tree out in the middle of the desert. And <clears throat> he prayed to die. And God asked him a question. He said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And he gave him some food, and said, keep going. So he went to Mount Horeb. It was a 40-day trip, and he didn't have any more food than what he had that one time. That must have been some kind of meal. And when he got to Mount Horeb, he went into a cave. And there in the cave, the Lord revealed himself to, to Elijah in this way. Elijah stepped out of the edge of the cave, and there was... Tremendous wind, so strong that it was breaking rocks. That's big wind. And then there was an earthquake. I don't know if you've ever been on the side of a mountain when the rocks are breaking and the earth is quaking, but this will get your attention. And following that, there was fire. And God wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the earthquake, and he wasn't in the fire. Oftentimes that's where we look for God, isn't it, in the big stuff. But then there was a still, small voice. 
And that's where he heard God was in this still, small voice. Later in the Old Testament, we read Isaiah. And would you guys put up Isaiah for us, please? It should be about verse chapter 30, verse 17. Is that right? See, I forgot, and I told them I would cue them all this, and then I didn't. It's 21, 30, 21. And if you want to turn in your Bible, you can find it. And if you're not finding it, it may not be your fault at all. It may be my fault for not having uh, done it properly. But in 3021, we find these words. Isaiah's giving a messianic prophecy regarding what it's going to be like when the Messiah comes and when the kingdom is set up and everything is right. And he says, among other things... um, Well, I'm going to begin in verse 20. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Your ears shall hear a word saying. And I I can't help but connect that to Elijah's experience where he had a still small voice. On the mountainside. God's promises to these people. And his revelation of himself there. Is preparation for what's now ours in reality. In the New Testament. Where God by his spirit. Speaks to us with a still small voice. And says this is the way. Take it. This isn't the way. Stay out of it. Think of how much trouble you would have avoided. Grown ups. If you had just not taken the way the Spirit tried to tell you not to take. Right? Amen. Absolutely. So, we see that this this hearing is an intimate kind of thing that is our privilege with God. In fact, the big idea of this message, and, and I want to be sure you get this in case I haven't made it clear already... Would you guys put us back up to the big idea? Hearing God is both the ultimate privilege and the intimate reality of Christian living. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. But he speaks an encouraging word, not just an enlightening word. I'm going to move real quickly here, so hang on, okay? Because I know you're thinking he's just made it through the first point. And that's true, but I knew that that's all I would get through. But the second thing I want you to hear is he speaks an encouraging word. In John 10, verses 3 and 4, in verse 27, we find these words. To him the gatekeeper opens, that is, to the good shepherd. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, the practice in the Middle East in those days was that the shepherds brought their flocks into a consolidated sheepfold for the night where they would be safe. And there would be a number of flocks there and different shepherds would leave their sheep there and sleep outside the fold by them. Some of them, at least one, the gatekeeper, would stretch across the entrance to the fold and sleep there so that the sheep 
would have to go over him to get out, and so that the intruder would have to come through him to get in. And he goes on and he says, when he has brought out all his own, what happens? Well, in the morning, the shepherds go and stand at the gate to the sheepfold, and they call their sheep. Here's sheep, here's sheep. Hey, sheep, here's sheep, here's sheep. Different ways of calling their sheep. But here's the deal. The sheep knows what their shepherd's voice sounds like. And so the sheep come to their shepherd. They respond. And their shepherd knows them by name. And so he's calling them by name. And they're coming to him. Now Jesus is telling this to reveal to us how he calls us. That he knows our name. And that we will recognize his voice. The message is very clear in the Bible. God's people will recognize God's voice. They will. And so they, he calls them my sheep and my voice. And they know, I know them and they follow me. Well, what do we call the message about Jesus Christ that we tell people? What do we call it? I'll give you a hint. It's the, the gospel. The gospel. The word gospel means good news. It's encouraging words that God speaks to us. Even when God convicts you of your sin, he's not going to convict you of your sin and leave you feeling like you're a miserable failure and you can't have any hope. He's going to convict you of your sin in a way that shows you how to find forgiveness and gives you hope for a better way. That is always the nature of God's words to us. They're encouraging because he's the God of the gospel. Anytime you hear something in your heart and mind that doesn't connect up with the God of the gospel, it's not from him. Just dismiss that junk. We could spend a long time talking about that, but just focus on what the gospel God is saying to you. Because it's always encouraging words. And a few weeks ago, my wife and I had the privilege of attending a volleyball game that our freshman, high school freshman granddaughter was playing in Atlanta. And I want to describe the scene to you before I read my wife's comment. The scene is this enormous facility with as many as 50 volleyball courts. Over a hundred teams playing at the same time. Over a hundred refs blowing their whistles at the same time. Or over 50 refs blowing their whistles at the same time. No, it's probably a hundred because there's two of them. Blowing their whistles. Parents and grandparents and hangers-on cheering for their particular people. It's It's a throng of craziness. And you've got these young ladies out here trying to play volleyball and talk to each other about who's going to take this position and who's going to make that move and so forth. It's just absolute insanity. And we're sitting there and... It becomes our granddaughter's time to serve. And their team is in the game, but not ahead. I, I know that it's not proper preacher etiquette to read illustrations. You're supposed to tell them from a personal vantage point and be confident enough to do that. But my wife's a better writer than I am teller. 
And she wrote this. I saw her write it as we were sitting there because she heard it from the Lord. And so I thought I'd just read what she wrote if it's okay. She was preparing to serve the volleyball when a voice from the crowd yelled, Take over the game! She turned and looked into the direction of the voice. She knew that voice. It was one she had heard from even before her birth. It was her dad's, her chief fan and encourager. And then I heard my father's voice saying, this is a perfect example of how my children know my voice. The more they hear and respond, the easier it becomes to hear it above the noises and sounds vying for their attention and trying to distract their focus from following me. Oh, to be so sensitive to his voice that nothing is more important than turning aside from my activity, smiling at his presence, and responding to his words. And she took over the game. And that's my last thought for you. When God speaks to you, it is an empowering word. When he says thus and thus, he doesn't say it in a vacuum or in a sense of now you go find a way to do it. He accompanies the word with the equipment to do the word. Always. Always. Where God guides, he provides is one of the little cliches that pastors have used for years. Where God speaks, he empowers. Don't ever say, God, I've been hearing the Lord tell me this, but I just can't bring myself to do that. Of course you can't. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your might. And guess what? Israel stands as abject, incontrovertible proof that people can't do that. Do they not? Is that not true? You look at the Old Testament, Israel, they just continually said, we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll, we'll hear you. And then we, they couldn't do it. You can't do it either. I can't do it. None of us can do it. But God can. And here's the deal. With the word comes the empowerment to do what the word says. It's the gift of God. It works like this. Now, I didn't make a slide for this, but picture in your mind, God is speaking. Draw an arrow horizontally to you are hearing. Draw another arrow horizontally to you are believing. And another one horizontally to you are acting. That's the way it works. Now, how can I say with such confidence that when we hear the word, we are empowered to do it? Because in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, we find that the words tell us very plainly that hearing God's word brings faith to believe. That it's the gift of God, not of ourselves. That's in Ephesians. But it's the gift of God, this faith that he's given us, not of ourselves, so that no one should boast. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him and of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, listening. You may have heard the message of Jesus Christ a thousand times, and then one time you heard it, and it transformed your life. Nothing will change lives more radically and more completely than actually hearing God. And when we hear Him, we can never be the same again. He changes us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Our assignment, worshipers, is to get a word from the Lord when we come to church. Your assignment, Christians is to listen for the Lord's voice. Because when you hear it, and it will be different for each one of us. Gosh, very quickly. God will speak to some of us through preachers. I've got a good friend who seems like the only way he really can be sure he's hearing from God is, is he hears it through a radio preacher. Doesn't have to be any specific one, but I've seen him change his life many times because he was listening to radio preachers. Uh, Sometimes it's through a dream that God speaks to people. Sometimes he speaks to them through reading the scriptures and all of a sudden it opens up and and there's a, a word from the Lord there for you and not just stuff on a page. Sometimes he speaks to us through the counsel of wise and godly people. When you're listening for the Lord to speak, always be ready to get confirmation of what you're hearing with counsels, with the Bible, with prayer. Now I want to ask you, how does the Lord speak to you? How do you hear his voice? How many of you are familiar with the still small voice? Raise your hand. This is not a test. It's not bragging. This is just identifying, okay? How many of you find that God speaks to you when you're listening to a preacher? Oh, good, good. Uh, How many of you have had the Lord speak to you through dreams? Dreams. In, In America, it's not uncommon. In the Muslim world, it's very common. This seems to be... One of the most powerful evangelistic voices in the Muslim world is God speaking to Muslims in dreams. When I was here this morning coming in, one sister came up to me and said, are you preaching today? I said, yes. She said, well, I had a dream that you were going to be preaching today. Well, okay. There's all kinds of ways that God speaks to us. Husbands, how many times has your wife been the voice of God in your life? Yeah? And vice versa? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I want to conclude by saying sometimes you need an enlightening word for direction. Sometimes you need an encouraging word for hope. Sometimes you need an empowering word for strength. Which one are you needing today? 
direction, hope, strength. I was going to ask the band to come up, but I'm not going to because we need to be respectful of your time. But I would like to ask you to take a moment and get in touch with the Lord yourself and talk to him about your need to hear him, your desire to hear him, and ask him to help you learn to listen. Father, what a, what a privilege. What a intimate thing to have the one who knows us best speak to us with direction and hope and strength. What a, what a gorgeous thing it is that you have shown yourself to be the gospel-speaking God who always, always, always offers us mercy and forgiveness because Jesus has paid it all. We praise you for that. Now may the Lord bless you and cause his face to shine upon you. May he grace you with the ability to hear his voice. May you, along with Israel of old, hear, O church, the Lord our God is one Lord. May you be empowered to love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your might and your neighbors as yourselves. And may you walk in the certainty, the confidence, and the humility of listening to his still small voice showing due direction and hope and strength. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.